David and choir, musicians, we are always blessed. We are encouraged as you lead us in worship. We thank you for your ministry, your faithfulness to the Lord. I enjoy saying the music at Wake Chapel Church is not a performance. It is never a performance. Our musicians work hard. And they are ministering to the Lord. This is their ministry to the Lord. And they let us enjoy that with them. And we are grateful. Thank you. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me please? To the last chapter in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4. To me, there is uh, uh, someone very special in our worship service this morning. All of you are, but this one individual is just, uh, uh, I think, so special that I want to mention it. Ruby Gibson, we're glad you're here, lady. If there was ever a gracious Christian lady, and uh, she, along with uh, Rochelle Powell and uh, others, are just uh, the, the two or three folks that are like that. They're just the backbone of Wake Chapel, have been for years, and we are delighted anytime any of that group uh, and others like them in that that group uh, had, who just meant so much to uh, Wake Chapel. Anytime any of them can be here, it's so good to see them and uh, their families, the Powells, and all of them right back there. And it's good to see all of you here this morning. Rochelle, God bless you, sweetheart. It's just uh, special when any of you are here. If you have your Bible open to the fourth chapter of the book of Malachi, pray with me. Father, speak to our hearts through your word and give to us to bend our wills and our thoughts to what we find on the pages of sacred scripture. Forgive us, Lord, for at times we put our desires, our thoughts, and our wills and place in them more importance than your word. Forgive us, we ask. You've promised that the Spirit of God would be our teacher. And we pray for that ministry this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The prevailing philosophy in America and in most of Western civilization is something called existentialism. And with most of us, perhaps that's an unfamiliar term. It's certainly not one that we use in everyday conversation. But nonetheless, this philosophy has a tremendous impact on our lives. It has a dramatic effect on art. Its impact on music is absolutely enormous. And if we are not too disposed to modern art and modern music, it still has an effect on our lives. For you see, this philosophy has brought about a change in our ethical standards. 
Allow me a couple of illustrations. We today are told that right and wrong cannot be determined by any set of external standards. Objective laws like thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not commit murder, and so on. Are of no useful value today. They're not principles to guide folks living in 2016. Truth today is supposed to be determined by personal experience. We've all heard the expression, if it feels good, do it. Don't worry about right or wrong. Just do what feels good to you. And the outworking of that philosophy guides most of Western civilization today. Another illustration, if you please. This philosophy touches our lives in the great emphasis on the present. Don't be concerned about the past. Don't worry about what your mom and dad taught you. Don't worry about what your grandfather, grandmother believed. Don't be concerned about the past. Present is where we live, and that's all we need to be concerned about. The other side of that is, don't be concerned about the future. Don't be worried about it. It's here and now, and that's what's important, and that's where our focus must be. And in the here and now, we do what pleases us and what feels good. Now, as Christians, we must conclude that all such thinking, if it can be called thinking, is foreign to biblical standards. But the interesting thing to me is these thoughts are not new. Malachi faced some of this same kind of thinking in his day. There was an emphasis on today. Forget the past. Forget Moses. Forget all of that. And don't be worried about tomorrow. The people to whom Malachi spoke were saying it's today. It's all today. And Malachi 4 is addressed to folks with that outlook on life. Now, there are three parts to my message this morning, three outline notes, if you will. The warning of the prophet Malachi, the witness of the servant Moses, and the work of the prophet Elijah. The warning of the prophet Malachi, the witness of the servant Moses, and the work of the prophet Elijah. We begin in 4, 1 to 3 with the warning of the prophet Malachi. Would you follow along and let me read, please? Malachi 4, beginning at verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And that day is coming, will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from a stall, and you will tread down the wicked, and they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on that day which I am preparing says the Lord of hosts. And in those first three verses, let me break that down just a little bit further for you. First of all, in in chapter 4, verse 1, there is the retribution. The retribution of the wicked. 
Did you notice that Malachi begins 4-1 with the word for? For. Why does he begin using that word? Because he's explaining the last part of chapter 3. Drop back to the last verse of the third chapter. Verse 18. And let me read. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked. Between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace. So 3.18 goes right into 4.1. And and 4.1 is an explanation of what he says in chapter 3, verse 18. By the way, it is of interest to me, and perhaps it will be to some of you. In the Hebrew Bible, there is no Malachi chapter 4. In the Hebrew Bible, the verses that are in our our Bible's chapters, chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, those verses come right after verse 18 of the uh, third chapter. And chapter 4, verse 1 in our Bible is chapter 3, verse 19 of the Hebrew Bible. So, and it picks up from there, 19, 20, through the, uh, all the verses that we have in our fourth chapter. Frankly, it would be a little better in our understanding if we did not have a chapter break between chapter 3 and chapter 4. 318, this is going to be a difference between the righteous and the wicked. And the next verse says, why? For... God is going to judge. Are you with me? 3.18 says this is going to happen. Chapter 4, verse 1 tells us why. Now, would you notice in chapter 4, verse 1, Behold, the day is coming. Reasonable question is, what day, Malachi? What day is coming that's going to do this? The answer to that is down in verse 5. If you will look, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet. We'll talk about him later. Before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is coming. And that's what Malachi is speaking about here. Now, day, the word day in the Bible can be used of a 24-hour day. It can also be used of an extended period of time. And what determines the usage is the context. And here... It is used of an extended period of time. In the Bible, we often find references or allusions to the day in which we are living, and it's often referred to as man's day. Because man is demonstrating what he at his core is very is like. Man today is demonstrating what he is like. At his core. There is coming a day. Called the Lord's day. When the Lord will in that period of time. Manifest himself. In a way that he hasn't done previously. Not in our day. Listen carefully. The day of the Lord. And that's what this is about. You'll notice if you will just circle in chapter 4. Our chapter 4. How many times the word day is used. Twice in chapter 1. Again chapter 3. Uh, and in chapter, uh, verse 3, and again in verse 5, the day of the Lord. And that is an extended period of time that includes three particulars. One, it includes the tribulation period, that period of seven years, immediately following time when the church is raptured, when the church is taken off the earth. 
following that, there is a tribulation period. That's part of the day of the Lord. The second part of the day of the Lord is the second advent. That time when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to this earth. And the third part of the day of the Lord, as it's used here, is the millennium. That period of time of 1,000 years when the Lord will reign over the earth. Now, those things spoken about there in the day of the Lord, tribulation period, second advent, and the millennium, are all delineated in Scripture. Theologians didn't make these things up. The Scriptures speak of these things. And the day of the Lord is that extended period of time when all three of these things will take place. Malachi speaks of it as the day. And he is looking at the second part of those three things. He is looking at the time when the Lord returns to judge the earth and those who are alive. And would you notice how Malachi describes that for us? Burning like a furnace. Chapter 4, verse 1. Why did he compare that to the burning of a furnace? Because I believe, unlike a fire that is outside, that is uncontained, the heat dissipates more rapidly. In a furnace, the furnace retains the heat, and it is much more intense. And that's the description of the wrath of God. Folks, uh, for most preachers that I know, preaching on a subject of coming judgment is not the most pleasant of things. And... If you're seated in the pew, judgment is not the most wonderful thing that you'd like to hear of. But dear people, there are rewards and there are judgments which are to come. The Bible states that. I'm not making it up. It is a difficult message for me to talk about as well. But it is part of God's word. Malachi goes on to say, And all the arrogant and every evildoer will be like chaff. You know one of the greatest fears around a granary or a silo? The fine dust of the granary or a silo is enormously volatile. It burns in a flash. The arrogant... And the evildoer will be consumed, Malachi says, like chaff. There's more. Verse 1 again. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. That is a very, very vivid description of judgment. Let me back up for just a moment and... and, and Try to set this scene for us. In Malachi's day, people were saying, it's no good to serve the Lord. The righteous suffer. The righteous are impoverished. And the wicked are wealthy and continue to gain. And the arrogant shake their fist in the face of God. And don't seem to have any, and there, there doesn't seem to be any consequence to their doing that. Malachi says to them, Don't just look at today. Don't just look at today. Look to the future. There is coming a day when the Lord will judge the wicked 
And then you will see the difference between those who serve the Lord and those who do not. That's Malachi's warning in verse 1 and the retribution of the wicked. Now would you notice the reward of the righteous in verses 2 and 3. We've already read them, but take note of verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the text doesn't say for those who try to do the best you can. The text doesn't say for those who are baptized. It doesn't say for those who attend church. It says for all those who fear the Lord. Salvation has never in any era of time been based on how good people are. It hasn't up until the day that we're living now, nor will it in days to come. It will never, salvation never comes based on how good people are. Never has, never will. You know, the Bible says, there's a way which seems right unto man, but the ends thereof are the ways of destruction. Salvation comes by trusting Jesus Christ personally. And the fear of the Lord has reference to awe of Him, reverence to Him, respect of Him, and bowing the knee to Him. And for those who do that, verse 2 says, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. That's an interesting expression. The Son of Righteousness. In Isaiah 49... Verse 6, the Lord is called the light of the Gentiles. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, let's look at Malachi's statement a bit more closely. He says, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in, his wing, in its wings. He's talking about that physical body, the son of righteousness rises with healing in its wings. But wait a minute. Does the sun have wings? May I suggest something for your meditation? And you just think about it, okay? I think Malachi had something in mind similar to what I'm about to say to you. Have you ever seen the sun rising in the morning? And perhaps it rises behind a cloud. So you can't see the full sun. But the rays of the sun seem to come out the edges around the side of that cloud as though... It had wings. I believe that's the kind of figure that Malachi has in mind when he says the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. You know what it's like when the storm passes and the sun comes out again? Isn't that a good time? You go back outside after a horrible storm and the sun is rising. There's a calmness about that, isn't there? There's a healing, if you please. And what this passage is saying is that one day the Lord Jesus Christ will come and there will be healing and there will be refreshment and there will be life. Not only will there be healing and refreshment in life, but there will be invigoration. Notice verse 2. Uh, the sun will rise with healing in its wings. And then the last part of the verse, 
for, or and you will go forth and skip like calves from the stall. Now I grew up in a city, um, and I don't mo- I, I don't know. Never spent much time. Don't know much about a farm. Nor do I know very much about farm animals. But I understand from those who do that if a calf is pinned up in a small calf for some length of time and then you let that calf out, what's he going to do? He's going to run and skip. And I think I can understand the expression from Malachi in those terms in verse 2. A calf pinned up, is, that's just what he's going to do. It's a picture of life. It's a picture of vitality. So when Jesus comes, there will be healing. There will be a calmness. There will be life. There will be vitality. And there will be healing in his wings. But there's more. Verse 3. And you will tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day, there's our word again, which I am preparing, says the Lord. Now, when you first read verse 3... It it seems almost sadistic, doesn't it? Look at it. Tread down the wicked. The ashes under the soles of your feet. Surely it does not mean that the Lord's people will be sadistic and bloodthirsty. I believe what this means is that the people of the Lord will be left alive and the others will not. The people of the Lord will be left alive, and others will not. This is the warning from the prophet Malachi in verses 1, 2, and 3. There is the witness of his servant in chapter 4, verse 4. Remember now, the first three verses, Malachi is saying, look ahead in time. Don't be so taken up with today. Look ahead in time. The Lord is coming with judgment, and with reward. Now, with respect to Moses, the children of Israel are told to look back. Look ahead, first part. Look back with respect to Moses. The children of Israel are told to look back, to recall Moses. Verse 4 says, Behold, I am, no, excuse me, remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb, For all Israel. What a beautiful title. Moses, my servant. Moses was qualified to speak because he was a faithful servant. You see what Malachi is saying here? What's the best thing to do when you're lost? And make no mistake about it, in Malachi, Malachi says, Israel's lost. And he has illustrated this time after time after time. In our previous studies. What's the best thing to do when you get lost? Well. Most men that I know of. And I am sometimes accused of this. Are stubborn. And when we get lost. We just keep looking. We're not going to ask. I learned from my father-in-law. As long as there's gas in the car. You're not lost. But what's the best thing to do when you're lost? Go back to where you got lost. Where did Israel get lost? When they forsook the law of Moses. That's where they got lost. And the nation as a whole was a shambles after that. What did Israel need to do? 
go back to where they got lost. Malachi says, look back, look back, go back to Moses. Keep in mind now that Malachi is instructing his people. Go back to the law of Moses. The law was meant for the nation, Israel. And it's important for us to keep that in mind. Second word in our passage had to do with Moses. Third word here has to do with the work of Elijah, the prophet, in verses 5 and 6. Let me read them. Verse 5, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, and he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. First three verses we are told, look back. Excuse me. First three verses we are told to look ahead to the coming of the Lord, the, the judgment and the reward that comes with him. First three verses. Verse 4, look back to the law of Moses. Verses 5 and 6, we are told to look ahead again. And before judgment comes, there will be a man to do the work of restoration. The man is called Elijah. Why Elijah? There are two great men in the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah. In fact, the Old Testament is often spoken of as the law and the prophets. The law, Moses, the prophets, Elijah. In fact, uh, Elijah was the greatest of the preaching prophets. So Israel again is told, look to the future. There is coming one like Elijah. This prophecy, by the way, has yet to be fulfilled. There is coming during the tribulation period, after the rapture, a man who will bring about a great revival. I wonder if it computes with us to see how gracious God is. This verse is saying that there will be a future day in which a generation of living Israelites will have their hearts turned again Godward. Just like Abraham believed God, so they will believe God. Just like Isaac obeyed, so they will obey. Israel will again turn to the ways of her forefathers. But verse 6 ends with the words, and this is the last verse in the Old Testament. The Old Testament ends with this. Lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. What an awesome conclusion. By the way, you know that Jewish people today, when they read the book of Malachi and they come down to verse 6, they will not stop reading there. Jewish people today, when they read the book of Malachi, will read the last verse here and then they'll go back and read verse 5 again. They won't end with verse 6. Question, why does God end the Old Testament with a curse? Early in the Old Testament, we have a curse. Remember Adam and Eve sinned? Genesis 3. Why does God end the Old Testament with a curse? It's because the Old Testament ends with the law. The Apostle Paul was saying, Galatians, for as many as under the works of the law are under a curse. Galatians, he says that. Malachi wrote to his people 
who were complaining. It doesn't pay to serve God. Again, the righteous are suffering. The wicked are prospering. It doesn't pay to serve God. And even the arrogant uh, shake their fist at God. And there's no consequence to it. Malachi says, look forward in time. The Lord will come and reward His people and judge those who have denied Him. Look backward to Moses, Israel. That's where you got off track. And then look forward again. For there's one coming with a message that will turn the hearts of a living generation of Israelites Godward. That's what Malachi says to his people in what we have as the last chapter of the book of Malachi. Question. What message is there for us? One. Do not be preoccupied with the present. Don't allow that philosophy that I referred to as I started my message this morning, which focuses on the present. It says don't worry about the past, don't worry about the future, just focus on today. Don't be influenced by that. Lost today? Somebody within the sound of my voice just tired of living like old man River. Tired of living. Scared of dying. Does somebody here like that this morning? Look back to the mountain. Not Sinai, but Mount Calvary. Friends, there are two mountains. One brings forth the curse. That was Moses when he came down from the mount with the law. That mountain brings forth a curse. That's what the Bible says. But there's another cross. One brings forth the curse, but the other pays for the curse. Or you see, when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, he became sin for me and for you. He died for you. Look back. Not to Moses. The law won't save you. The law's never saved anybody, never will. Look back to Calvary. Jesus died for us there. So the first lesson I see is don't be preoccupied with the present. Second lesson I see is look ahead. Look ahead. Dear people, judgment is coming. It's not a happy message to bring. But it is biblical. Judgment is coming. But in grace, God always provides a word of grace before judgment falls. I don't believe you can look through the Bible anytime, in any period of time, in any book in the Bible, and find judgment where God did not provide a word of grace and an opportunity to repent before the judgment fell. I don't believe you will find anything like that in the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament. Before judgment, God provides grace. Now, I'm not Elijah, but I may be one who's giving to you today the same thing that Elijah will give when he when that individual comes in a day future, and that is giving to you a word of grace. If you will trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, 
He will be just that. He will be your Savior. He will forgive your sin. Is there somebody here that's just tired of living? Life is just too heavy anymore. Look to Jesus. He will save you. He will redeem you. He will forgive you. And He will promise you a home in heaven. That's grace. There's judgment that's coming. But this is a day of grace. What will you do with Jesus? What are you doing with Jesus? Character in the book of Acts is some more convenient day. Don't put it off. You may not have another convenient day. There is a heaven to be gained by trusting Jesus Christ. There is a hell to be avoided by trusting Jesus Christ. What are you going to do with Jesus? You will never find, you will never have, you will never encounter a question more important than that. What are you doing now, today? What are you doing with Jesus today? He is coming. Judgment is coming. Today there's grace that's offered. Pray with me. Lord, messages of judgment are hard messages to to give and to hear. And Malachi uh, doesn't pull any punches when he describes judgment that is to come. But then he says there's grace. There's opportunity for repentance. There's opportunity for that one to come to Jesus as Savior. Speak to that individual today who is closest to eternity and needs to trust you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can trust Jesus Christ right where you sit. You don't have to be baptized. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to raise your hand. You can trust Jesus Christ right where you sit. Just simply by saying, thank you, Lord, for dying for me. I trust you right now as my personal Savior. Somebody needs to do that. We're going to sing one verse of victory in Jesus, for there really is victory in Him.